That's very, very tuneful, Gordon. Very tuneful. I'm renowned for that. Are you? Uh, is this a new theme tune? No. Because <laughs> we are recording. Uh, just thought I'd let you know. <laughs> Welcome to episode 11. Uh, this is Whiskey Unscripted with me, Gordon Dallas, and... Oh, hello. Sorry, yes, we're recording. I... Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I thought that I'd just be... come back from holiday. <laughs> Right. Nice to hear your dulcet tone, sir. Um, great to be back on the Whiskey Unscripted. Yes. How was the holiday? This is a very strange um, holiday, I would imagine. It was a bit of a strange holiday. Um, did a, did, did, a, did an idicum, a, a little bit of DIY. Got mm -hmm. bored after 10 minutes, so um, I've just had a man in to inspect the damage and see how much it's <laughs> to do properly. Um, Drank a little bit of whiskey, oh, caught nice. up with some friends, obviously socially distancing, and played golf, which, to be honest, I may as well have stood in the first tee and just thrown golf balls into the nearest bush. Um, it was terrible. Um, and I used to be okay at golf, so I need to see a man about my golf as well. But can go either way, Gordon. A, a break from golf. You can either come back an absolute demon and uh, scorch oh. the course, or do what you do and have lost all... Um, well, it was terrible. Oh, terrible. It was awful. So, um, yeah, my, uh, that, so yeah, no, it was a nice break, but it wasn't really a holiday. It was, it was just some time off that, um, I sort of had to take. So it was, it was, it was pleasant enough. Pleasant Gordon, enough. We, we usually do the news at this point, but, uh, yeah. I'm dying to get into a small libation because it was yeah. Father's Day last weekend, or last weekend, and I got a nice little whiskey. Oh, I didn't because I'm not a father, but that's fine. And I, I, well, I'll, and I'm not in the same room as you, so I can't give you some. So I've got uh, White Oak Akashi Blends, 40% ABV. So Japanese right. whiskey, obviously, Gordon. And I was hoping you might know a little bit about it. I know nothing about it. Ah. Well, where did you get it from? Waitrose. So blended whiskey. It just says it's um, from an old sake distillery um, from 1888. And they started making whiskey in the late 1920s. So a bit of heritage there. And I thought I would like to make a, a highball. And I've never done one before, ah, so I've got my ice, Gordon. Talk me through it. What's the well, combination? What you need to do with a highball is you need to um, have really nice ice. And as big ice as you can get. Right. So you don't want to have lots of little cubes of ice. You want to have one, as much as you can one big cube of ice. Get that into the glass. Um, yeah. Chill the glass down, and then uh, if the glass is chilled, even better. Oh, and God. then um, I know you're in a sauna, but uh, uh, and then just pour a little bit of that whiskey over the top of that ice, okay. um, just up to you know normal measure, normal measure, maybe yes. a little bit of it. Doing that right now. And there's my. So it's, what's the combination? One part whiskey, and it's a fairly good measure. One part whiskey to about. I would say to about one and a half to two parts soda. Okay. If you want to taste the whiskey, if you want to have more of a refreshing one, a little bit more soda. But uh, if you've got a sort of rocks glass, a little bit of, uh, yeah. And then just stir it nicely with a spoon. Okay. And get that mixture working really, really well. Um, uh, you could garnish with a little bit of, uh, I wouldn't possibly garnish it with anything. I know, I forgot the garnish. garnish. Never mind. That's okay, don't worry. Oh, lovely. And just... And just sit, tell me how, how it goes. I've, I've looked up the White Oak Akashi blended whiskey now. So it comes in a small 50 CL bottle. It is. Um, 
So apparently on the nose, you should have butter, hot frost buns, chocolate peanuts, lemongrass, and a light hint of spicy rye grain. Are you getting that? All of that, Gordon. All of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. <laughs> All and, of the and above. I would and I would imagine, obviously, it doesn't say this, that this is how it works with the... Uh... Well, have a taste. How's the, it taste? The highball, it is lovely. I had some last night without the highball. I thought, wait for Gordon to take me through the, the making of the <laughs> highball. And it really is very refreshing. I could, you could really, you know, it's not very sunny today, but this would be a wonderful, a long, refreshing drink. Yeah, and I mean, you know, clearly it's a lovely, it's pretty nice whiskey that. But I think the key thing is that you've got with um, a highball, you want, you want to always use a lighter style whiskey. So a bourbon matured Scotch, ex bourbon matured Scotch whiskey, nothing too strong either. You don't because it's not. You're not wanting. A, you would not use a cast strength whiskey for a highball either, I don't right. think, because it's it's a it's a lighter style, refreshing style cocktail. So, where you would want to use a cast strength whiskey in a cocktail would be where you need to stand up against other flavors. So, you know, something like a an old fashioned or something like that is obviously or a, or you know would work better with higher strength whiskey than a forty percent whiskey, for example. But for me, anything at 40, 43, bourbon matured with that lighter sort of vanilla mm -hmm. profile um, is exactly what highballs are made to reflect. Mm -hmm. And you'll still get a lot of that, a lot of that um, distillery character coming through. I'd imagine even though you've added soda, you're still getting cherry bake walls and walnut loaves and sweet cereals, a bit of nutmeg and black pepper, I would imagine. That's right. Gordon, you're, you're, yeah. I'm, you're speaking as I'm thinking it. Uh, but no, it's yeah. lovely. It is a, a lot highball to be recommended. Uh, yeah. Great uh, advice here about the highballs there, Gordon. What yeah. are you drinking? Well, I am. I I'm drinking a Compass Box Ooh. product. So, just a little bit of history about Compass Box. Compass Box is uh, uh, fair to say a fairly innovative company over the years. Um, started by John Glazer, who is, I think, a well-respected individual within the Scotch whisky industry, and so. John has always produced whiskies, which are, and one of his major things has been the the sort of provenance of them in terms of, you know, he's not got a distillery. So what he does say about the whiskies that he makes is he will say where they come from. So, he, you know, if I make a blend, he will tell you where the whiskies that go into that blend come from. So um, that was his sort of point of difference. And he's got very distinctive packaging and very distinctive, uh, you know, very distinctive sort of um, style of, of whiskey as well. He's, 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 Come up head to head with the SWA on a couple of occasions as well. What with? Oh, just with you know how you can whether you know what what's the definition again some of the definitions of what is a barrel so things like that one or two of the the sort of innovations which he's done and I'm just trying to remember the specific one which he which he came up against but it was to do with um, barrels and 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 whether a barrel whether you can stick any staves inside a barrel to flavor the whiskey if you know what i mean mm -hmm. yeah. um and i don't think the sw is particularly keen on that but um um he's come up with some very innovative whiskies and and it's a fairly small company but they've done some great things over the years and uh they're uh yeah so i'm drinking and i've got a good friend who works in celine so i want to say hello to her but i just wanted to yeah so i am drinking a whiskey called the Spaniard. Oh, hello. The story of the Spaniard. Mm -hmm. So it's, a, it's clearly got a lot of sherry casts in it. But if you go onto the website, it's a malt whiskey blend. So it's a blended malt. And it showcasing whiskeys aged in Spanish wine casks. So, you know, not even sherry casks. Spanish wine, you know, different types of uh, types of sort of products that come through there. So, you, so what you get with that um, 
you know, if I just go to the recipe details that I have in front of me, it's got some first fill whiskey from Abelauer. It's got some, uh, it's got some whiskey from Deanston in it. Um, it's got some whiskey from Glen Elgin in it. And, you know, it just sort of tells, you know, it tells you a bit about the oak, tells you a bit about the uh, type of wines, et cetera, et cetera. So beautiful whiskey, beautiful whiskey, 43%. Um, but yeah, a, a different producer and doing things a little bit differently. And, uh, you know, I think Compass Box have their place in the industry for sure. But it's, yeah, really nice whiskey, although it's predominantly a bit of a later evening style whiskey with that sort of richer citrus and poached sort of red wine pears and, you know, that type of flavor. Uh, it's absolutely gorgeous. So lovely. Really oh, nice. Lovely. Slange of again, Gordon. Slange of yeah, Slange of no. And again, a whiskey, you know, I think there's still that, just to say very quickly, I think there's still that single malt drinkers look down their nose to blends and blended malts. And it's absolutely not the case, you know. Blend, you can get great blended whiskey, you can get great blended malt whiskey. Blended malts are something that everybody should understand exactly what, what they bring. And it's, you know, it's malt whiskey all blended together. Um, and it's, you know, if you if you do it for the right reasons, and, and this is a prime example of that, our own Six Isles, which we've talked about a little bit, mm -hmm. is another great reason to blend whiskies together because you've got a reason to do it. Then um, it's a it's a great uh, a great style of whiskey to enjoy, and I think it's a, a category that's going to grow over the years. And of course, it's you can't just keep on drinking single malt. All you've got to compare, contrast, and change it around a bit. And I've changed it around. Absolutely. With my, a highball there. That was that's uh, wonderful, no, Gordon. I think you've got to challenge yourself. Absolutely, absolutely. Every uh, week, I ask you to come up with the any news, tidbits, nuggets from the world of whiskey. Now, I know you've been doing the DIY and killing people in golf courses with uh, your balls going astray. But have you had a chance to to see if there's anything happening in the world of whiskey? Um, yeah, I mean, there's always something going on in the world of whiskey, which is great. Um, so. Um, you know, I think what's been really interesting recently that I've really noticed coming to the fore in the last month, two months is, and there's more of a sort of angle on it now, is is, is the role of women in whiskey. And, you know, you see more and more, you've got people like Rachel Barry, Kirsty McCallum. We obviously heard from uh, from Emma uh, Newton as well. We've got, you know, there's there's um, Gillian McDonald at Glenmorangie. There's, there's, there's this so many women now who are making whiskey involved in that making of whiskey and um, there's distillery managers as well that are women it, it, it really is a, a transitional time i think and it can only get better the point is and it, and it goes back to one of those whiskey myths that you always want to bust it's a drink for absolutely anybody there is not a such a thing as a man's whiskey or a female whiskey it's a whiskey is for anybody and so the sooner we get to that point and we all understand that and get it is is great because and whiskey will continue to flourish, um, as Katie was saying when she was on. You know, I think the more that we can we can appeal to the wider audience and be innovative and be exciting to people. So I'm getting a real feel of things like that coming through. And so, we'll be hearing from a, a, a woman later on in the podcast. We will. We'll be hearing from a good friend of mine who um, works for Angus Dundee. She's Her name is Claire. She's their European ambassador, and she is... Um, charging charging or not not at the moment but she's charging around europe and she's 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 doing lots of good things for them and she's um 
getting well respected within the uh, within the whiskey industry. So Ooh. Claire is going to be talking to us a little bit later on. Great. Uh, in this. So that's exciting. That's exciting. I tell you what's exciting. I think we should have a couple of our features, Gordon. It's Whiskey Unscripted. Um, we like to do a few little features. One of the features that I like to, to bring to things to the table is the year that changed whiskey. And ah. I don't know if you have noticed, but especially Channel 5 in the United Kingdom are putting out hour upon hour of famous railway journeys. Who has not oh, no. been on a famous railway journey in the British celebrity circuit? You know. <laughs> I thought I thought I thought you were gonna say and I was wondering how you were gonna link this to a whiskey uh, whiskey <laughs> sort of year that changed whiskey. But they are also heavily they're into railway journeys, they're also heavily into people that hoard. Yes. They're also into hoarders <laughs> and they're also into um bailiffs. They like bailiffs. Oh, they like well. bailiffs. They like bailiffs. So, um, I was wondering, I thought you were going hoarders or bailiffs, but you've gone railway journeys. <laughs> railway so... journeys. I, I, I challenge anyone that's got a British television uh, in Britain with a TV not to see a railway journey over the next two or three days. But I just thought it just switched on something that the year that changed whiskey, you could go back to 1863, July the 1st, the Strathspey railway line opens up from Dufton to Abernethy, which would be Nethy Bridge in the in the future. And that really opened up that whole area of Scotland that we now know as Speyside to transport. Up until that moment, Gordon, virtually every one of the distilleries in Speyside were using peat. It was local. It's all you could get a hold of. When the railways yeah. arrived, you could get cheap coal brought in from Perth or Inverness or Aberdeen or even Glasgow and you could get coal to fire your, your, your stills and peat and that smoky aroma really disappeared for the best part of a hundred odd years and then like our own Tam Do starts up in 1897 because of the railway the, the railway distilleries flourished and it's never looked back since so and another little date would be 1866 if you've ever been to Scotland and I've done the steam train from Aviemore to Boat of Garton. In 1866, that Speyside Railway, or the Strathspey Railway, met up the Inverness and Perth line at Boat of Garton in 1866. So you could now go from Speyside or Dufton uh, right down to London, if you so desired. And that really That's was right. an integrated railway network. And we've never looked back since. So That's right. And it went, so it went sort of through... Dufton, Craig Ellicky, Aberlour, yeah. um, did it not? And then yeah. it went to Taran, which is very near Tamdu, um, and then passed through Nokando, and then down to um, Ballandalloch and, and Cromdale and Granton on Spey and ending up down in Nethy Bridge, Boat of Garden area, yeah. Yeah, you could go from Tamdu, Nokando, all these places down to down to London, all the whiskies and all the ingredients that yeah. brought in. And crucial for getting casks in and casks out and all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, wow, really what a year that changed whiskey. Well, there's that uh, music in the background, Gordon. We're right into the 80s. No time to hang about. And I think we're on the letter K. We are on the letter K. And now, um, yeah, we are. So, um, you, you go first. Well, I'll go for... Well, it's another historical one. Uh, Kenneth Pans. You could say quite under, you know, reported and under cherished in our country. Um, and there is an argument to say this was the world's first commercial distillery. 
It's set up in not a, not a farm. It was a commercial distillery. Uh, Andrew Steen set it up in the 1720s. His son John Steen, massive giant of the industry, was responsible for the first export of Scotch whisky to leave this soil in 1777. His son John as well. So the third generation Steen. John was obsessed. We don't know quite why with Ireland. He bought uh, Bow Street and Marrowbone Lane distilleries and set up John Jimison. Sorry, I thought you were saying Monopoly. Oh, right, Monopoly. He set up John Jimison of Alawa to take oh, over right. uh, those Irish distilleries that Steen's owns. And, of course, John Jimison um, bought them out himself and the rest is history. So, oh, okay. And in 1786, if that wasn't enough of setting up the Irish whisky industry, they ordered the first Bolton and Watt steam engine to arrive in Scotland. Certainly it was one of the first. So you could make an argument to say that the Industrial Revolution started on a distillery in Kennet Pans. And just finally, wow. Gordon, if that wasn't all enough, John Steen's grandson, another John Steen, um, didn't invent but perfected the continual column still that was at Cameron Bridge, another distillery they opened up, which, if I'm not right, uh, mistaken, Gordon, is Europe's largest grain distillery, I think, Cameron Bridge. It will be, yeah. And it's still well going. Be, yeah. So all well, wait, stems from Kennet Pans are big key. It's Special absolutely <laughs> history-tastic this <laughs> morning, everybody. History. In fact, what you should do, everybody, with your kids and a bit of homeschooling, just plonk them down in front of Gordon Dallas. He can fill them out for... Uh, <laughs> they'll, be, they'll go back to school with more historical whiskey-related dates than you could ever know. And uh, that's a, there's a top tip of homeschooling. <laughs> right. um, okay, other things... I'm going to go through a couple of the brands that we have. Obviously, Nokandu, we've just mentioned Nokandu. Mm. Um, Nokandu, uh, just near, right beside Tamdi Distillery, so we know it well. Diageo, I think it's actually silent at the moment. Kilhoman, so Kilhoman was the first new distillery on Isla back in sort of 2003, 2004. Uh, production started 2005 with the, with the Wills family, Anthony Wills and his sons, um, who I know well, and they're, they're, they're lovely people. Interesting facts about Kilhoman. Go for it. It's the only distillery in Isla that's not by the sea. Ah, that's a good fact. That's a, a factoid. Fact. That's, that is a factoid. Farm distillery. I think it's, uh, now this might be out of date, but I think they're expanding it as we speak, but it's about half a million litres. Um, and it, for me, it, it, for me, it's, it's a prime example of how you would start a distillery if you, if you had the money. Uh, do it right, get really good people involved. They, they had a fantastic distiller called uh, John McClellan, who unfortunately passed away, but he, he was at Brook oh. Um And he really knew his whiskey, and he really helped to, I think, move it on. Um, uh, so Kilhoman, a great example of a whiskey that started, you know, 15-odd years ago, and they are, they've built a brilliant fan base and, you know, lovely people. Any good expression, Gordon? Would you put it in the direction of a Kilhoman, any particular oh, one? Do, uh, I, I, I like quite a lot of them. They do a Loch Gorm that I had once, which was great. Mm -hmm. um, they do a few others. Mahir Bay, I think they do a Mahir Bay as well, which Lovely. is the, the, the sort of um, seaside shore very near them. Beautiful place. There's not very many bad Kilhomans, put it that way, if there are any at all. So, obviously, uh, Peter from Isla. Um, so, that was distillery number eight on Isla. And then Ardnahoe, which is was built completed this time last year or April last year so they're a year into production it's distillery number nine and then of course there's Port Ellen which could be distillery number 10 
And I think there's another one. So it could be 11 in two or three years. My goodness. Caninvi, which is the other sort of distillery um, that William Grant have. Um, Caninvi is a constituent part of uh, Monkey Shoulder, from what I understand. It, they, they released it in small releases. That's a nice whiskey. Just going through them very quickly, Kilkerran. Kilkerran is a whiskey that has really got a real, real founding, real sort of following. Made at Glengyle from 2004. Uh, Glengyle was closed in 1925. It's about three quarters of a million litres. But um, Kilkerran has got some, uh, it's part of obviously Springbank, etc. It's got a really, really strong following and it's got some wonderful releases, sort of eight years old. Right? Beautiful, beautiful whiskey. Uh, I've got a bottle. Smoky? Uh, uh, yeah, not nothing overly, but mm -hmm. nice. No, really nice. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And then uh, finally, King's Barnes, which ah. is the distillery near St. Andrews. So it's a it's a lowland distillery. Started by a, a guy I've not seen for a little while, Doug Clement, uh, who, uh, as part of the sort of build-up of it, then worked with Weems. Uh, and it's been open for about four years, something, five years, something like that, four years. Yeah. Um, and a great place to visit if you're in the St Andrews area, so sort of the local distillery St Andrews. Uh, oh, well, there's obviously Eden Mill as well. 600,000 litres of alcohol. So uh, there we go, some new distilleries in there, some old ones. Nice. So that's pretty much the case. And speaking of your golf, Gordon, we'd have to go up to Kingsbarns. I don't know if you'd be allowed on that course, on your current form, I have to say. No, I mean, I have to say, I just a little bit of golf chat. I did play the old course. Uh, which is the ultimate for most people. I have the fortunate ability to, or opportunity to play the old course hotel. Lovely. Old course, sorry, not hotel. Uh, old course um, at St Andrews. I was very nervous, I have to say. Yeah. And um, that first I drive know, must be a very in front of the yeah. in front of the sort of RNA <laughs> and the stands were up. This was this was just after the open, mm -hmm. uh, so it was uh, 2015. So it was uh, it was about four years ago now. And my friend, who who is a very good golfer, plays off three, and his father, who who are who were the people that got so it's me and my dad, and, and uh, Cameron and his dad, and we they they got us onto St Andrews, and I I stood in the first tee, and um, <laughs> we were there for about half an hour before we started, and I Cameron came up to me, and says Gordon, I've known you for 35, 40 years, you've not said a word, <laughs> and I said no, I haven't, I'm 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 a little bit nervous, I'm honest, I'm a little bit nervous, uh, stood up. First tee, not a great shot, if I'm honest. It, it wasn't a terrible shot, about 120 yards straight down the middle, but it wasn't it wasn't much of a looker. Um, but it was better than doing a fresh air shot, which I was very nervous about. Yeah, um, yeah. A, a, a great to have played the sort of home of golf. Perhaps. So it's, it's, it's wonderful. I have played off of the old course, but I was actually playing the Eden. I just sliced a lot onto the old course. Can I just throw in one last K, Gordon? Um, yeah. Quite important for uh, Kiln. The kiln, oh yes, which is yes. The, the, the the furnace, the drying area inside the maltings that uh, gets the the malted barley, and you dry it, and you can either dry it with hot air that Glengoyne does, or you can get peat and dry it with a bit of smoke. That is it. It's a big oven, basically, or big sort of. Well, it's not an oven. It's a sort of. Um, you have the 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 great it, traditionally, obviously, if you think of distilleries in the pagoda the pagoda roof that was that was always where the kiln was yeah um and obviously those pagodas were to let the smoke from the kiln out and this was where the malt was being dried and i think there's only seven distilleries here we go Ooh. we're gonna play a game seven distilleries that still malt, malt. an element of their own barley lovely so here I we go it's seven. 
Play at Here home. Here we go. You, you can play at home. Seven. This is, I mean, this is this is unscripted gold. So you start, Mr. Dallas. I'm going to go easy. I'll go Bowmore. Bowmore does indeed. Yes. Uh, about thirty percent of its own malted barley. Okay, we'll stay in Isla Lafroig. They do only about ten percent of theirs. I'll go down to Campbelltown and do Springbank. We do everything. Springbank do 100%. They sell everything they make, pretty much. They, they. Uh, I mean, I think being a salesman for Springbank is not the hardest job at all. <laughs> I know a lot of salesmen at Springbank, and I, I'm joking, I'm joking. It, it, it's it's a great distillery, great people. Um, yeah, okay, that's three. Now, I believe, and I think they do it, uh, Highland Park, obviously, is another one. Highland Park, up on, up on Orkney, they malt their own... Uh, barley. Don't know the percentage. I don't think it's everything. Um, but uh, they malt their own barley. So that's four. Four. I'm allowed to use uh, back to Isla. You mentioned it already. I'm allowed Port Ellen. Port Ellen malting. Yes. Yeah, so Port Ellen is not a distillery as yet. Ah. It is a malting. You so just hit yet, the bar. I've hit the bar. You have hit the bar. Port Ellen maltings is a big maltings on Isla, which some of the Isla distilleries use, obviously. Kaila Lagavulin will use. I think some of the others do as well, but it's not a distillery that malts, if I'm honest. Because obviously nope. Port Ellen I was clutching. I was clutching. I was. Uh... But no, that's good. I think another one is Kilhoman, so we'll stay on Isla. So Kilhoman do also do an element of their. Do, if, they may do a lot of malting on site. So um, any others? Oh, yes. How many have we done? Is that six or five? I think it's five. I think. Well, I think another one is. Ben Riak. Ben Riak, now currently owned by um, Jack Daniels, effectively, they they malt an element of their own barley as well up on Speyside. There's one obvious one we've not hit on yet. And I'm going to hand it over to you. The final one. Everybody at home is shouting at you. Go Correct. On. I know everybody's shouting at me. That's, uh, that's Big brand. Big brand. For some reason, Dalmore has just entered my head. Not Dalmore. Oh, he's actually not even hit the bar. I've just sliced it right out the course. You know how I mentioned Kininvi earlier? Yes. What ah. It's the distilleries of Kininvi. You've still got the Balveni or the Glenfiddich? The Balveni. Ah, the Balveni. Right. Balveni do their own malting as well. Um, so that is the seven, which I understand have floor maltings, uh, which is... And funny enough, when you come back to Tamdu, Tamdu used to do a lot of malting on site, but it was done in Saladin boxes, which is a very different way of malting barley, not on a floor where you have to turn it. It was much more automated and turned sort of by the the, the mechanism within the Saladin box. But yeah, there we go. A few distillers, a bit of information on the floor malting. Does great. it make a difference? Arguably. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I think it's one of those things, if you're set up to do it, why would you not continue on to do it? So. And, um, there we go. That was great, Gordon. That's just just to put the full stop in that one. Uh, a wonderful tour around Crisp Maltings, which is a huge industrial complex supplying a a lot of the industry there. But I believe it's a sort of almost a three hundred and sixty four days of the year operation. Just wow. amazing, uh, flat out seeing all that done in an industrial scale. So, Gordon, it is Ed's. Can we close the book in K? We could close the book at. Okay. Now, could you just introduce our guest this week? Yes, I can. Yes. So, as I mentioned earlier, we, um, we're uh, sort of going around a lot of different 
businesses getting different perspectives on uh, you know the industry not just from an Ian McLeod sort of angle where we bring us bring you the insiders guides but we want to also get other other companies views so I wanted to speak to a good friend of mine Claire who has got a great you know, she's been in, she's been in the whiskey industry for about three or four years so over to over to Claire who's being interviewed by myself here we go now we have the wonderful Claire Tesh uh, joining us on whiskey unscripted Claire how are you I'm very well how are you well, yeah, no, lockdown still, sort of, and, uh, you know, doing what we do, it's changed our lives, I think. Would you not agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you weren't out painting the town red last night then, no? No, no bars, no. clubs? No, no. I mean, you know, as much as I'm, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I enjoy that. That's why I'm a, a, I'm a fan of a bar. I'm not a, you know, <laughs> quite happy to tell people that, but... Uh, no, not last night, unfortunately. All the bars around here are still closed, but I can't wait to run into a bar, hug people, and lick things. Yeah, absolutely. In that order, in that order. No, absolutely. I keep, I keep asking people, oh, what are you up to tonight? Like, the answer changes. <laughs> I feel bad. The last yeah, weeks. exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Claire, great to have you on the, on the show. Um, Claire, Thanks for what? having me. Not a problem, not a problem now, Claire. I think a lot of people would like to know, obviously you work uh, for Angus Dundee and um, you have sort of two main single malt brands. Do you want to just give us a bit of a quick rundown of how you, end, not ended up, but how you currently got to where you're working for, for Angus Dundee, um, where you came from? So I think my journey kind of started um, probably at university. So I was a bartender um, throughout my four years um, at university. Which bar? And now, <laughs> it was a uh, um, Australian-themed bar in Stirling. <laughs> right. Was it called Outback? It was. It was. Oh, what a guess. I know. I know. It's, it can either be one. And then it changed names to the Kilted Kangaroo. <laughs> right. Right. Yep. Excellent. Big bar. Big bar. Nice. But I kind of started from there pouring pints, having drinks. And then I enjoyed kind of that side of the industry a lot. So I took a little bit of time out um, and went to go and teach English abroad in Thailand for about two years. Um, yeah, and really took a kind of dive in that direction. Realised pretty quickly that I didn't want to teach. Um, I did not have the patience for it. Um, I really enjoyed my time out there, but it's pretty apparent that that was not the career for me. So when I came back, I um, I worked in a bar in, in Edinburgh just before I left to go to Thailand. And which and bar was that? It's the Rutland. Ah, yeah. And nice. then I yeah, and I worked downstairs in the cocktail bar that um, that's quite familiar to you guys, I think, called Heads and Tails. Oh yes. <laughs> well, uh, that's uh, for anybody who doesn't know, that's where um, Edinburgh Gin is sort of located currently. So yep. So I worked um, in that bar for about a year and a half um, and then I moved to working on the other side of the industry which was um, for a startup distillery in Glasgow. Um, so that was my first kind of move from working behind the bar to then being on the other side of the bar. Yeah. Um, so I, I worked um, for them doing sales, a bit of marketing, a little bit of production. Like the whole, we're just discussing this before, but the whole kind of range of, of jobs that's required to work for a startup distillery. Yeah. Um, which was great. 
yeah, absolutely. And they they've launched product now, and they're you know they're, yeah, doing, so, they're doing pretty good stuff now. Yeah. So when I I worked for them, they were primarily a um, a gin company, but they were also making whiskey. But it wasn't legally um, allowed to be called whiskey at that point when I worked for them. Um, but they had vodka and rum um, and aged gins, so it was kind of a mixed bag um, in terms of their product portfolio. Um, but and from there, I wouldn't say that initially when I started working for them, I didn't automatically presume that I would end up in whiskey. Um, gin was the reason that I joined because I'd worked in the gin cocktail bar. I was very interested in gin, um, yeah. and at that point, it was still kind of at the start of its not the start, maybe the middle of its boom, I suppose. Um, and that was about three, four years ago now. And Claire, and, I know um, you well. I know you're still interested in gin. <laughs> it's. I don't know if anyone else has this, but as soon as you move out of one spirit category, you almost don't venture back it's weird yeah. like for me it's, it's the only way forward is um is whiskey i still yeah. dabble in other spirits but yeah. i think because you're so consumed by that by what you're yeah. working on that it just you do. dominates your life you do, yeah. um like i have no idea what's happening in in the gin world and that's because i'm so like in, interested Gross in the whiskey world whiskey. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly also, good word the, the other thing, of course, is, you know, the other thing in the whiskey industry is you've also got to remember to look up and see what's going on as well in terms of what other people are doing because you get so not you get so focused on your own brands and your own, you know, what your, oh, yeah. your own agenda. But you still need to look up and see what everybody else is doing, which is always a good thing to do. Yeah. And I would and I would argue to some extent it's always good to, to dip your toe in the water. Although you should be always focused on whiskey, you should yeah. definitely always have a little look at what's going on in other spirit categories oh, or what's sure. happening in the world of, of alcohol full stop because you can get some really good ideas from uh, <laughs> from other spirit categories yeah. that you can move along to yours. Well, um, I, I, I did do that once and I went to a grappa masterclass um, oh. at a spirit show um, for an hour with an Italian gentleman who spoke about grappa for an hour and a half. And yep. I'm still not a fan of grappa. <laughs> um, so you finished Absolutely. the Glasgow Distillery and then where did you head on to? So I decided that I wanted to take a leap into the world of whiskey. Um, so I was headhunted for a job working for an independent bottler um, as I know. <laughs> I was going to say something else, but I was like, that sounds much better. That's much <laughs> better. Yeah. Sorry, I was headhunted. Thank you. Uh, just <laughs> really in demand, actually. Yeah. Um, so I started working for an independent bottler as their European brand ambassador, also based um, in Glasgow. Slowly but surely, because I live in Edinburgh, so yeah. all my companies have been based in Glasgow, but they are all coming slowly but surely towards Edinburgh. So I started off in working for the startup distillery in Hillington. The next independent bottler was in the west end of Glasgow. Douglas Lane, and, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, it was. So I worked for them for about a year yep. um, as their brand ambassador. Um, and then I wanted to kind of move into more, I suppose, production side. Um, because with Douglas Lane at that point, they didn't have um, any distilleries. Um, yeah. And I wanted to kind of get more of an insight into the production because... I kind of understood it, but not to the extent that I, I understand it now, which obviously the, the job uh, move has helped. So then I moved to Angus Dundee in May of last year as their European brand ambassador, um, covering Glen Cadham and Tom and Tello. So you've been there just over a year now? Yeah, it's flown by. Oh, yeah, it has flown by. 
I know, and, I and know. And part of that, I mean, I, I, I sort of, through you, I've started drunk a little bit of Glen Cadamax. I've never really drunk it before, really like it. Very good, very mm-hmm. lovely distillery. Um, and then, of course, the other thing that I've noticed also with, and, and you, you need to explain this to me because I've never witnessed it. You do whiskey and donuts, don't you? Yes. Can you explain how that works? Well, well, the whiskey and donuts is um, it's done by the Malt Room up in Inverness, and um, oh, right. <laughs> I love I love that they've so they they've started this. I think they've they've done it before um, lockdown as well. Um, there's a place called Perk Coffee and Donuts um, that's also based up in Inverness, and they do miniature donuts um, and they pair them with whiskey. So. I think it was about maybe two weeks ago they had um, uh, their first, and it's done through Facebook Live, um, this guy called Matt McPherson that runs the, um, the malt room. And they, they pair up five whiskies and five donuts. So they had um, Tom and Towel on um, two weeks ago. And then last night they did the sec. I didn't actually know they were doing this. I just got a delivery of more donuts in the post. And I was like, oh, oh damn. God. <laughs> Oh no, there are worse things to get than whiskey and donuts in the post. Yeah. Um, but they did a, an old Ballantrune, which is our um, heavily peated oh. um, Speyside whiskey that we produce. And they paired it with a um, chocolate ganache donut, which was just, oh my God, it was so good. So they do miniature donuts and they pair them with whiskey. And the idea is to, to enhance the flavours or alternatively contrast the flavours that are in the whiskey paired with food. You need to get yourself involved. Yeah, I, I need a donut like a hole in the head. But yeah, um, <laughs> um, I'm I, I I will have to get involved at some point for sure because um, donuts and whiskey seem to go together. Nothing nothing beats um, you know getting drunk and waking up in a coma afterwards. So that, in I a like donut a, coma. Yeah, donut coma. I think I think it sounds a good matching. I'm always looking for interesting things. So you yeah. spend your time predominantly. Obviously, your two main brands are Tom and Tool. And Ta- is it Tom and Towel or Tom and Towel? It's Tom and Towel. And the, the way that I remember it is Tom used to be the distillery manager um, prior to Robert. Um, and he used to always say, think of himself in a towel. So Tom in a towel, Tom and Towel. Uh, see, I, I, I have always probably said it slightly wrong. So, to, so Yeah, I did as well. I did as Tom well. and Towel, but it's not. Tom, and, Tom in a towel. Tom and Towel. We did yep. a pronunciation thing recently. And... Um, <laughs> I um, saw that. And um, Tom and Tom and Tal, I don't actually think it came up. And that is known as the gentle dram, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. So how would you it describe is. that to, to our listeners who may not be so familiar with it? It's um, probably quite fruity and creamy is the best way that I would um, describe it. Um, the majority of our, um, in fact, all of our core range is um, ex-bourbon. So it's very kind of sweet, creamy, um, fruity. And then Glencadam is, is kind of the more on the tart fruitness side. Um, so I always describe Glencadam as like almost like pineapple juice because it the is. new make does taste very pineapple-y. Or at least you get aromas of like those kind of tropical fruits coming through um, in our core range. Again, all matured in bourbon. Yeah. Um, but there's more tart fruit rather than um, Tomantau. is more like creamy, like honey and toffee and fudge, those kind of like sugary kind of creamy sweetness, while well, Glencadam is more like tropical fruits. No, absolutely. I, I mean, I've, I've drunk a bit more Glencadam recently, and I would agree it's very sort of, it's got that sort of slight, almost sort of citrus tartness to it, but I really love it. It's really, really good. Yeah. It's great whiskey. So that's uh, fantastic. Now, Claire, what I, what I wanted to, to ask you is a couple of things. We're doing... Um, 
your ultimate whiskey moment. And, 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 you know, it's a combination of a lot of different things, as we all know. It's great whiskey. It's product, it's the place, whatever. What, how would you pinpoint your ultimate whiskey experience so far in life? Oh, that's a tricky, tricky one. There's just, I think for, for a lot of people, it would be maybe the first moment I can imagine people would um, point to. For me, it's, it's a difficult one because fortunately, I think I have these moments in whiskey all the time. And that sounds really mm. pathetic, but it, it's true. And I, I think if I didn't, then my job wouldn't be as, as amazing as it is. Mm. If I had to pick one, I would go for probably the first time that I enjoyed whiskey. So I, I kind of was introduced to whiskey at a very young age through my granddad who used to kind of give me it on the sly. Um, and weirdly enough, the brand that he used to give me, um, which was Macallan, he, um, I, I enjoyed that the first time um, in working for uh, the startup distillery. There was an independent bottling of it and we had a bottle um, at a whiskey lunch so it was this big event in Edinburgh that you, you go along to and you have the lunch and there's awards um, and sometimes they put bottles on the table and uh, we were hosting... Yeah, so we were hosting the, um, the table um, and on the table was this independent bottling. And, yeah. and at that point, because as I mentioned, I was very much gin headlights on, whiskey hadn't really kind of come across my path that often. Yeah. Um, so... And this whiskey retails for around about I think, 500 pounds. So I was a bit like, oh my God, this is so, so expensive. Did, did, you turn around to the, did you turn around to the, uh, to the waiter and go, can I have a larger glass? <laughs> Do you have any Coke? No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Lilt, um, actually, particularly good. Yeah, yeah or, or Ting. <laughs> yeah. Forget tequila and Ting, whiskey and Ting. <laughs> yeah. So so they poured this, this dram and um, everyone at the table, and I... Bear in mind, I think I'd worked for the company for maybe three months, um, three and a half months. Yeah. And I was sitting with, with all these, because um, it's a whiskey event, so I was sitting with everyone in whiskey from loads of different companies. And I felt, I felt a little bit out of place, you know, first starting in, very fresh, very new, didn't really know that much about whiskey at all. Because for me, I've, I've always been learning on the job. So I've not had all this base knowledge of, of whiskey. So I felt a little bit kind of intimidated. And I was sitting next to um, the buyer from Royal Mile Whiskies, Arthur. And oh, yeah. I had a, a couple of drinks of the, the independent bottling. Smelled it, noticed it, did the usual. Looked around to see what everyone else was doing. And I uh, tasted it and I was like, oh my God. First of all, it smelled almost like a rum. It was that sweet. Um, and the taste, considering it's at, at Castrand, the taste was really quite bearable and enjoyable <laughs> which is what people looking onto this bottle would expect it but at that time for me I was very new and didn't really know what to do where to go with it um, and also felt like oh I can and talk about this because I can just describe the flavors that's in it and not feel too kind of out of my depth and it was the first time for me that I enjoyed whiskey, but realized that actually this could be something that I explore more. Mm. And from there, it's kind of been a snowball, really. So I've just kind of learned and tried to absorb as much. So for me, whenever I talk about my, I have so many whiskey moments that I could go into there. It's just drinking with friends and enjoying um, a whiskey that you enjoy, not something that's really high priced or anything like that. But no, for no. me, that moment is, is my whiskey moment because it was the 
the gate to to exploring more about the career that I do today. So that would probably be my my ultimate whiskey moment. I've got another question I want to ask you. Outside outside of your own brands, um, what would be your sort of go-to whiskey? Oh. <laughs> Is this your way of sidling in Glen? No, I say Glen Goyne. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> this is a this is this is a this is a pan whiskey uh, podcast. This is we, we produce it, but it's not all about. So what what, what would it what, what would it be? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I was just about to. I was about to say that, or uh, or once we've got rid of those two, it could be like Smokehead. <laughs> no, seriously, what would it be? Um, so, well, I really enjoyed recent um, uh, Glen Scotia, um, I think it was the Campbelltown release that they did with the 14 years old in Port. Um, uh, yeah. And I haven't really explored much of Glen Scotia, um, but I really enjoyed um, the 14 year old. Mm-hmm. Um, others that I would enjoy, I mean, I've always been a massive fan of really young Kalilas, um, independent bottlings of Kalila. I just love it. I think it's really raw and kind of organic and just rough around the edges but in a good way for me Uh and what else do i really this is the problem i could name so many because there's just so many good whiskeys out there um one whiskey your desert island oh no don't make me do it please (laughs) okay desert island whiskey would be i'll go springbank i think there you go Fantastic. Oh, I really want to retract that and put something else in. No, I can't. I have to stick. No, it's a great choice. Great choice. Great I would distillery. go. I would go Springbank because great, it, great yeah. people, great, um, great whiskey for sure. I love what. Yeah, it packs. It packs in a lot of of what I would want from a desert island dram or a yeah. bottle. I'm guessing case because you wouldn't just leave me with a a dram of whiskey in a desert island. It would need to be a case or something. Or a pallet. A truck. How how far can we go with this? Yeah, only if you were there for a week or so, in case you last well. Um, yeah. Right, I'm Claire. Fantastic to speak to you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. No, it was problem. great to speak to you. Yeah, all the best and great to have you on Whiskey Unscripted. Can I just say that I'm supposed to be the um, technical guru? How come every time you do a recording, it sounds perfectly, and you know the issues I have with uh-huh. recording. <laughs> I mean, good to say, ladies and gentlemen, I sit, I sit at home with a ThinkPad laptop, no microphone, no headphones, and I just speak into it. Gordon could launch a space satellite from his sauna. He's got mixing decks. I do. He's got different screens and cameras, and 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 um, and generally, I do seem to get better sound. Uh, on on the podcast because we've got a great interview with Paul Davison of Glencairn and Crystal coming up next week and uh, yeah that was that was a challenge that was a challenge um, but no Claire's You're great. quite good tonight. You're sounding quite good today. That's, that's and as 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 was Claire as well and I believe I met Claire at the the Hague festival last year. Um, You'll not forget Claire when you meet her. Yeah, yeah, she likes her whiskey. She's, she certainly does. She's a great girl. Good great girl. I'm just going to wrap things up. We're going to have a little. Last sip of my highball from Japan. Thank you very much for setting that up. Um, no, no problem. I've, I've nailed my compass box. I'm looking around for something else. Gordon Dundas, thank you very much for joining us on Whiskey Unscripted. Good to be back on. Nice to speak to you, sir. See you next week. See you next week. Yeah.